Welcome, welcome, welcome to Planning Face Syndicate episode 69. And no, there will not be any inappropriate jokes. Hint, hint, guys. No inappropriate jokes tonight. Tonight, we are going to be doing our continued discussion on chess theory and how it applies to X-Wing. Tonight, we're going to recap Crate Cup a little bit. Uh, we're not going to get into a lot of detail because next week we have a surprise announcement that I'll let JJ make uh, here when he gets on the show in a few minutes. And we're also going to be talking about Defender Vader because it seems everybody wants to have a whole conversation about Defender Vader again since it made a little bit of a splash at Crate Cup. So we thought, hey, let's have a, <laughs> a little bit of a discussion on that. Without further ado, let's bring in. George and my good friend, JJ, who spiked his hair specifically for tonight instead of wearing his ugly giant's hat. Psych J, how are you doing tonight, sirs? Uh, doing very well. Excited to be here tonight and also very tired after uh, a great Cray Cup. Uh, for the record, I did wear a brand new giant's cap the entirety of uh of the swiss um just just because i knew that if i walked by the stream table where i was going to be on stream i wanted to make sure that i would appear with my giant's cap and then today we were playing cut so i had to spike up my hair because this is like my serious mode uh and uh and yeah and i just haven't taken a shower since i've gotten home so that's it <laughs> oh, you stinky motherfucker then <laughs> <laughs> yes George, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. So before we get into Crate Cup or any of the, the fun, adventurous stuff that we want to talk about tonight, what I want to do is I want to introduce George real quick. George, is, uh, he, he won our Planning Face Syndicate um, playoffs or tournament or whatever you want to call it back in July. And he's uh, topped at Nova and he's also topped at some of the recent GSP stuff. So um, if you hadn't noticed, Charles has been a little bit of absent. Charles is actually currently working two jobs right now. Um, and uh, and in between that and then he actually had to move. So what we wanted to do is kind of bring um, another body in a little bit here. And we've been kind of doing some guest hosting. Um, and George has said that he is able to commit for a couple more weeks to just essentially um, help fill out until Charles is able to come back and and work with us again. So welcome aboard, George. Thank you for uh, giving us an hour and a half to two hours of your time every Sunday night. It's a pleasure. Always a pleasure. <laughs> and I think, I think it makes me feel better because I was outnumbered by the scum players in the room and now CSI players outnumber everything. So there we go. <laughs> feel a little bit better. With that being said, hope everybody had a good weekend. Uh, my weekend was pretty decent. It consisted of uh, my wife's brakes failing and I had to, she had a caliper pull either shear off or completely come out. Um, so I had to re do, I had to replace that before the show. So that was super fun. Um, I haven't had to do that in like five years. So um, I taught my daughter though, how to replace a caliper bolt and why, what the, what each of the little pieces are. So she's going to be 14 next month. And I said, well, this is how you change a tire. And here's how you do some of your brake stuff. There you go. Um, thought it was pretty interesting. She kind of liked uh, like seeing some of that. So that was kind of fun with that. Um, we also painted little plastic frogs this weekend because uh, she wanted to. So that was kind of fun. Um, and then I bought or my son bought Cyberpunk, 
which I didn't know like even still existed. I thought they canceled that game, but I guess not. Oh, so, um, yeah, it's getting its own Netflix series too coming up. Yeah, I is, think that's why it? my son bought it. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It was kind of fun. Uh, we we did that this weekend. Um, George, how was your weekend? What did you do this weekend? Oh, during the weekend, I was also playing X Wing. They were having a little tournament over in Melbourne, so just kind of Australia. You flew to Australia? <laughs> no, Florida, Florida, Florida. Oh, okay. Didn't leave. Okay. Didn't leave the state. So, the Space Coast guys. Yep, get your fun on store. Yep. So we were helping yeah. kick off nice. the, the live events there again. It was nice. It was about it, they kept it at sixteen, with which ended up almost everybody showed up. Like we were like fifteen. I think that we have we had a buy at one point. So it was nice. Awesome. Yeah. All right, JJ. So we so to begin with, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and recap Crate Cup. But JJ has an announcement about the show next week. So JJ, you want to kick it off with your announcement? Uh, yes. Uh, so for next week, um, my teammate on uh, Team Gatsby's Baddies, uh, Mr. D. Yoon, will be joining us uh, on the podcast next week. Uh, he was very instrumental in our win uh, for for our run here at Crate Cup. Um, he did uh, help replace Andrew. Uh, you guys know him as Velvet Buddha um, on Discord. He was supposed to be uh, joining us. Unfortunately, he got sick before the event, and D. Yoon was our alternate uh, that came in and um, and came in and, and filled the role. Uh, I can honestly say uh, D is such a great guy. So very, very nice. I had a great time playing with D. Uh, he uh, he definitely um, was a hell of a, a, a Empire player. And uh, he just he was just fantastic. Did he fly um, Vader so Defender? Those uh, no, he did not fly okay. Vader Defender. He he was a champ and played X one Vader, and uh, <laughs> did very very well. Um, so for for those of you who don't know what Cray Cup is, it's a yearly tournament here in Jordan, North Carolina. Uh, it's a team event where you form teams of three people, uh, each with a different list, and you get paired up as a team against another team. Uh, to um, to compete in different rounds there. Um, your team gets points according to how many wins you get over uh, over the course of the tournament. Uh, so even if you don't uh, get like a four and one, as long as you had enough points uh, as a team to um, to like reach the cut, then you make the cut, which in our case, there was a uh, four-way tie for uh, third place. Uh, so that, that actually made it a top five cut giving the uh, Team White Walkers the buy for the first round. And uh, and we did make that cut there. Uh, we won our first match against... Uh, it was actually a revenge match for us. Uh, we um, we faced off against a team that had beaten us in the last round yesterday, and uh, we beat them in the first round. And then we faced off against Team White Walkers, which is Duncan Howard's team. Um, it was a, a very, very close match up there, uh, but they did end up getting the win and going on to the final and taking it all. Um, but we had a great time there. Got to see quite a lot of people there. And uh, yeah, can't wait for next year. Well, awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, sounds like you guys had quite a bit of fun doing your Crate Cup um, tournament. So why don't, why don't we begin there? And I don't want to give away too much. You know, um, can you give us just kind of a little bit of a the highlights of the weekend? So I, if you watched it, GSP streamed it. Um, Scott from Hexiled was on as well. Um I will say my one takeaway that I'm absolutely abhorred by is the effing mat. 
that they use for the the tables. <laughs> and I'll tell you what. Yes. Yes. I looked at that mat. Oh I God. almost bought that mat. Right. Like I almost was going to give you money and and have you buy me that mat. But after I saw it on stream, I said this is the most ugly, just overly convoluted mat I've ever seen. Like I could hang it on okay. a wall, but I never want to so, use it. So the most common complaint that I heard from people is that they kept on losing track of the obstacles because yeah. the slight blue that's on the mat blends in with the Pride of Mandalore rocks and asteroids that if you're not paying attention, they you literally could be staring at the mat and you can't see them. So people would dial in maneuvers to that would accidentally like overlap the obstacles. Like it is, it was so terrible. Like for me, like if I didn't have Kira, I think I, I we we would have not made cut honestly because there were so many times I had like accidentally just clipped my Kira rock without wanting to, and oh, holy crap, man! Like, ooh, yeah, yeah. So if I have to give a critique, no offense, and 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 again, I understand everybody did. You know, everybody's doing a good job. I I I I just for me that was that was just too much. I don't know. Yeah, it was busy. It was definitely busy. Yeah. But um, but yeah, the uh, the the event went very very well. Um, I kind of to to lead into that. One of the things that I experienced there was uh, definitely there was a lot of defender Vader, and very strangely there was one resistance list out of hmm. all the teams, which is really odd. Like I I just thought that you know with resistance doing so well as of late, you know in the meta, especially in our analysis. Um, not seeing like a very big amount of, of resistance, uh, was very, very surprising. Uh, but empire was definitely very, very heavy uh, across the board. Pretty much every team that played had an empire list by far. That's just weird. George, uh, so, so question for you, do you feel it's because people either just like empire that much more? Is it just better to fly or is it because resistance why wings are boring as hell. Um, I want to say it's more of, as far as defender Vader lists and stuff like that. I think that's uh, more straightforward and a safer list to fly. It's very, it's very good at what it does, um, and good enough to make cut in events. It's just one of those lists. Boring. You just say it. You can say it. Okay. <laughs> It's consistent. It, it makes cut. I mean, that's what that's what it's there for. You want to make cut, so you fly a good list. That's a good list. All right. What else, JJ? Anything else on Crate Cup? I know next week we're going to kind of get it. We're not going to – I didn't have – I'll be I'll, again, I apologize. I couldn't find all the lists and do all this other stuff. It, it just – I couldn't find them on TTT. And so we're going to have to wait to during the week. I'm assuming that was probably done on purpose, but whatever. And next week we'll actually cover some of the lists – and hopefully it, there'll be hopefully there's a way I can see the list and the breakdowns um, so we can actually look at win loss ratio for Swiss and, and different things like that. I know it's a team event um, and and I get that and, and I understand the logic in it. And I think there's a deeper piece to team events. And I think next week what we're going to do is we're going to kind of sideline. We're going to talk about the crate Cup and we're, we're going to talk about could this be a future piece of X-Wing that's viable A to play in and B is more fun right and, and i think it offers a unique competitive aspect to it that we haven't seen before right and so 
I want I don't want to get into that piece of it this this week because I think next week we could probably take almost a whole episode and and go through that. Um But but anyway, did you have any other things you wanted to cover for Crate Cup before we move on? Uh the only other thing is just a shout out to my teammates again, D Yoon, uh, uh great uh, great player, and of course Scott uh or Scout, you most of you know him as Burning Stick on Discord. Uh, he was our team captain and uh, helped set up all the different matchups for us. Uh, he was a great FO player, um, and I played Scum. I played uh, uh, Boba, Iman, and Kanan list, and uh, we uh, we definitely had a great time together playing, and I can't wait till next year. It's going to be fun. Yeah, so um, Sandy in the chat, they posted um, that they had fun playing the Nickel City League. Um, which was similar style. Greg had a few different loot roles. We did play extended, um, you know, those different things. But Nickel City League is up to six teams, I think, for season two right now, or seven teams, and we're on the verge of having an eighth team. So if you have not signed up, um, JJ is going to go get the thing and post it in the Discord. Um, <clears throat> but go to the Discord get the Google form link that JJ will post and sign up. If you want to play in the league, it's free, right? It's free. It's just a fun uh, thing that we can do. And there's enough like competition, right? That if you want to play a competitive list, you can, but if you want to just uh, be like what Tanner did and play fun lists that you could do that too. You can look at my record compared to JJ's um, and there's a difference, but I had fun playing things that, you know, like were not super meta every time. Um, and and it was it was fun, and I got to play a different faction that I don't normally play, so that was kind of fun too. So, uh, shout out to Velvet Buddha who uh, got COVID and couldn't play in, <laughs> couldn't play in Crate Cup, but um, we had quite a bit of freedom. So quite a bit of freedom, and uh, Greg will probably have in three weeks the um they'll do a draft, so there'll be actually a live draft. We'll post in our Discord, um, and the week before we'll post about it and let everybody know. So if they want to come watch it, the draft is pretty fun. Um, just to watch, at least it was last time I sat on my porch with a big ass glass of whiskey and watched people running by while my fat ass sat on, on, on the, in the stool and watched my X-Wing stuff. So that was fun. All right. So why don't we transition a little bit? Let's talk about Defender Vader. So I'm going to caveat this discussion two, two ways. So JJ, just because Defender Vader won a team event or kind of won a team event, still does not make it so OP that we have to ban or do all these crazy things. But you brought up that you wanted to have a discussion tonight about defender yes. Vader. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the floor. You get two minutes to lay out the premise and then we're going to have a conversation about why you're wrong. Okay. So, um, <laughs> great way to set this on there. Um, so, uh, definitely the most common, uh, ship that I saw on the board, um, across the, across the crate cup, uh, definitely was defender Vader and the majority of the empire list there. Um, now, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to preface this that, um, I, I was able to beat, um, defender Vader in two separate lists. Um, with uh, with my particular list and the, the my other losses that I had were Defender Vader as well. Now, granted, both of those losses were with Ben Doyle, who is a phenomenal player. Um, he is spectacular. He uh, really flew his list very very well there. But um, I, I gotta say, like he is a he's a very strong piece of what he has currently right now. 
Um, in terms of points, I think that Defender Vader is in a good spot. He is definitely worth his his piece. I would actually value him the same as a Fire Spray, right? Like Boba at nine points um, because he is just that menace there. But because he has access to a lot of uh, pieces that make him very, very consistent on offense, um, it can be a little bit of a, a negative play experience because he's he's pretty much easy mode, right? Because the most common uh, upgrades that you see on Vader are going to be Malice, uh, which will generate a crit for him when he's attacking, um, and uh, Juke, uh, which is uh, pairs up nicely with the chassis' ability to gain a free evade once you do a three-speed maneuver higher. Um, those particular combos are extremely devastating uh, when it comes to uh, certain objectives, namely um, salvage for um, for like the scenarios there. And he is just very, very consistent in that um, he he can be very predictable, you know, just depending on who you're playing with, you know, always doing the three to kind of guarantee that juke and stuff. But um, I think that because the ease of access to all those pieces to him, um, just just feels very, very strong um, in terms of what he can bring to the list. And like some people would say, oh, but, you know, he's mainly running it with like TIE Fighters or you could put in like one Reaper and stuff. Those pieces are okay. I mean, we'll have a different conversation about the Jingoists and stuff, but that, that's different. They're not at the level that Vader is at. I think that Vader does need to be brought down um, in terms of points, I think he's fine at nine points, but I'm talking about maybe either removing the talent slot for Vader um, or reducing the loadout that he can take so that way he can't combo that Juke Malice um, and, and an ordinance on top of that to where he can be oppressive um, overall. All right. <clears throat> so, George... What's your thoughts? We're, we're, we'll we'll just we'll go to George and then and before I go on my tangent. Oh, well, mine's short and simple. Um, so you're let me if I'm getting this correct. Uh, your take is that Vader's just OP, overpowered for his point costs. Yeah, just because he has access to both Juke and Malice currently right now, um, having that combination on an I six on a chassis that regularly gets evades is really potent and. I believe unique to that chassis and specifically Vader. I gotcha. I agree with you in some aspects, but I'm going to disagree with you in the majority of it. I don't think Vader is overpowered. Um, at the end of the day, he's only one ship and one ship can't capture all of the objectives. Um, that being said, if you are going up against a Vader, I mean, right now is, the perfect time to go up against a Vader, to be honest. You just have to have a game plan. And I think if you're prepared to face that list, then you are going to do fine against a Vader list. That's my opinion of it. I just think a lot of people may not have a game plan going into a list that a lot of people are playing. So I think that makes a big difference, which would probably go into our next discussion, I imagine. So. <laughs> it does yeah. good yeah good good call out there george <laughs> i love it um so so here we go jj so so okay so you're you don't you believe he's op because he has a talent and a um force slot and then yeah. a missile and a cannon slot and it allows him with 14 loadout points to do whatever he wants yeah all right, so 
I would first challenge a few things, right? Like, and, 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 and I say this because, so my, uh, so here, I guess I'll give my, the lowdown. I don't think Vader should go up in points. The no. only thing I think I would agree with is removing that talent slot or creating a bloody restricted list where you could just put Vader juke right on it. You can't take both of them. Yes. Keep your talent slot. Let them have, you know, let them have marksmanship. Let them have elusive, which would be actually like if you didn't have to take juke, I would be taking elusive on Vader every day of the week or predator, you know, I mean, I, I would guarantee people will put out maneuver on Vader <laughs> every time. All right. Okay. Well, so, all right. You're killing me here. So sure. That's, that's a, that's a thing too. But, but I think the big deal becomes, it's not that Vader is OP. Like, I don't think Vader is S tier. There you go. Like Vader is not an auto include in an empire list. Vader is a ship that will 100% pop. If you know what you're doing, will 100% pop based on dice variants and will have a little bit higher attacking power in the consistency level, right? Like it does have that consistency with the juke and the, the malice. And I agree the juke is actually the bigger issue. I think with this is the fact that he can roll and get a consistent three hit or two hits in a crit, no questions asked. And then on top of that have um, juke to tell you, you that if you have three green dice, one of them becomes a focus, right? But at the same time token, as long as you have the focus, right you you whatever he's gonna roll an evade down to a focus you can use your focus like it's it's you still have that ability the difference is and, and this kind of goes into what george was saying is if you understand what you have to do if you know vader is coming against you right and, and I'll, I'll pick on cis just because that's what i know if vader does not have cluster missiles <laughs> and vader is coming against you as a droid and you want to land on a rock and you're worried about the 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 heavy laser cannon or whatever the hell he wants to throw at you you just make sure you lay in towards the back of the rock so that you get the extra green dice. You make sure you always double calculate. That way you can always change two of your results. He can't roll it down to a blank. And then if you decide to throw your discord missile out, which you should do to hit a, a Vader, which you didn't run discord missiles, you ran energy shells. And I've changed my mind on energy shells and I'm back to discords when it comes to like a smaller ship count list for CIS. I have a, it's mixed arms. You know, it, you can do but that. against the Vader, uh, against the Vader, a Vader piece, that's where Discord getting on yeah. Vader and forcing him to no longer take that focus. And he has to take the barrel roll. He does not get a choice because Vader does not want to keep that stupid bus tray at all. So Vader either has to get in close so he can bump or he has to barrel roll. And when you do that, you, you mess with Vader's consistency right now <laughs> i also feel that vader has been the boogeyman because people hate defenders i really genuinely feel that this defender dislove just gets translated into vader i think people are very scared of defenders because of the 1.0 situation i didn't experience it so i have no idea like i would say give me th i've ran three by the way i've ran three generic defenders and never won a game ever. I won three of them. Never won one game ever. Every time I've ran them, Matt, cause Matt was Matt I, who used to be on the show was so adamant that those things were so OP. And as soon as I ran, I ones at three of them, which you can't legally run in a list, even back in 2.0, I, I didn't win. <laughs> like 
He destroyed me. He destroyed me. He destroyed me because they're I1s. And yeah, they get focus evade, but they he destroyed me. It, it wasn't even a contest. So to me, I feel that it's the pieces that you're giving Vader that allow the objectives to become more obtainable um, than it is him himself. And I would actually even challenge before we start taking slots and all these other things away, like, could we tweak Empire's point costs on some of these other things? So ISP Jinguist, for one, should not be three, two points at I4. It was done to sell packs, right? Like, what or whatever you want to call it. I don't care what you want to call it, but it, it was done. It was done in a way to, uh, it's silly. Like, they at an I4, a two point ship is that gives out strain almost every turn. That's pretty powerful with no repercussions. No repercussions. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. And you have an I3 uh, or an I4 ship that can say one of my TIE fighters no longer will die automatically every every game. That's like a half of a free ship right there. And then if anybody was smart and you're running Moth Gideon, which I've explained that, like in my opinion, you run Moth Gideon, Aiden, and both those Jinguists, and then you build around that list. That's what you should be doing. But Moth Gideon, I've, I've said it before, is extremely important because it denies your rerolls which we all know what happens when you start doing that. <clears throat> Look at Magma Yarvo, or however you say that stupid U-Wings yeah. yeah. thing. <laughs> That's really good. And that won the first, you know, or was almost like was runner up in the very first, you know, um, 2.5 era world. So anyway, long story short, if we go all the way back to what I was trying to get across is I feel it's the pieces around him that I would look at first rather than looking at the Vader. Because maybe it's the list that's OP that allows Vader to run the Reaper and a bunch of ties, or Vader and a bunch of bunch of ties, um, over the fact that we are getting a Vader that is a ship that's more worthwhile, right? There you go. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that I, I do agree that the the companionships to Defender Vader and most of the lists definitely have uh, have a big impact, and there's something that, something that should not be marginalized when we're discussing whether or not Vader is uh, overpowered or not. Um, the impact of the Jinguess is something that we definitely can't ignore. However, um, if you were to replace that Jinguess with, like, let's say a Black Squadron Ace, right, which is two points. Um, it's still the objective getter. It still goes into block. It still prevents you from going in and grabbing those objectives on salvage or scramble if it's played correctly, right? Because it's a low initiative ship, high agility that can go in, uh, take up space and take those objectives there. Um, it's what you expect from a low cost ship um, on the Empire that can do that um, and fulfill that kind of role. And that, that makes sense, right? The Jingoist's ability moving an I-4 is a little bit detrimental when it comes to that because it is susceptible to being blocked. And yes, that, that whole mechanic of getting out stress even at range zero is really powerful. Um, it, but I don't feel that that's... If you were to compare like the strengths in that particular list, right? You know, when you're comparing the Jingoist versus Vader... Um, sure, the Jingwis can take up the space and you know still grab objectives and stuff, but they're not going to win you the game versus Vader, who can consistently push in damage. And if you're going into the and I'm I'm calling out salvage in particular because that's probably the most egregious example out of all the objectives. 
But if you're going into a game trying to compete on objectives so that we don't fall behind in the objective race, Vader is there to punish anybody that's going after those those objectives. And his consistent offense um, with just his force alone, we're not even talking about like adding a focus token or even a target lock to mitigate multiple blank outs. He's just really, really consistent at taking out those ships and pushing in crits um, that, uh, that really benefit that player um, for, for that objective. All right. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm not going at an angle at that as saying that, you know, you bring the defender Vader and you're going to win the tourney. Obviously not that that's no, because it, it really depends on the player, but I'm just saying from a negative player experience angle, like I think that that's where it needs to be tweaked a bit. But is it because he has juke? Sorry, go ahead, George. I, was I think it's say, I mean, that's, Yeah. So, and that's the part like, with the combination of juke and malice and th stuff like that. I can see, and I, and I agree with you on like an experienced player going against a newer player. That's going to feel bad for the newer player. Generally. I gotcha. I mean, but is a shattering shot, trick shot, proton torpedo Luke with R3 Astromech so he gets no. two effing options better? No, not at all. That should also be done. But it shouldn't be either or, right? It should be both. Both need to be adjusted. I absolutely agree with right. that. And, and I only, I'm only posing that. And the same thing. Should Boba, shot, Boba Fett also be like no shape cloud, no force crew? Not give them, not give him yeah. notorious, and say screw you. You can't have any of these things. I, I mm. that that's fine. I mean, you can lower Boba's <laughs> uh, loadout value because his ability by itself, even without a crew slot to help him have a passive force, Boba's still really, really good. Um, so I, I even if you take that down, you make Boba a little more fairer. Um, Chaff Cloud, I mean. Chaffalot, honestly, is a whole other issue by itself because it affects many, many chassis that can use that in their list. But, um, I mean, I'm okay with Boba going down and or having either slots removed or points reduced so that way he can't have that combination of things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, anything to make the experience better for everybody across the board. See, and this is where I would say I don't feel Vader is a negative play experience overall right any more than luke is or any more than boba is or any more than Django. i mean you can make the same argument with a Django fed you can make the same argument about a bombardment drone that you didn't know can drop a mine out the front and here you come flying around saying oh whatever i'll take a shot range one oh by the way you can't kill a range one uh bombardment drone with one ship when it's farther back on a rock and it's just going to drop a proxy mine on you you know, like, I mean, and then, oh, there you go. There goes your Mace Windu, who has four health and just took one immediate damage and a possibly two more. I've watched the Mace roll hit crit and then have a direct hit, and then there goes Mace. That's a field's bad, but you can't stop all that. So you have to look at what is my ratio of feels bad, right? Like, what is the consistency of that feels bad? So when I talk about like Torkoal Mux, and, and Torkoal Mux isn't even being ran, but the reason I hate Torkoal Mux so much is for the pure fact that he says, your ship who's an initiative this is no longer that. He's violating some of the rules of the game to some extent. Juke is not. Juke is for everybody that has a talent slot. Now, 
defenders happen to get a free evade and we only care about it because it's on Vader who can then use malice to do that. So the next question I have is, could you, if you dropped all loadout points from Vader and said, the only way you could get loadout points is if you take the elite title, which is a spicy take because I think you can give 20 loadout points if you could take the elite title. Yeah. But if you got rid of everything, so you just basically said Vader get, Vader Defender gets zero loadout points. Do you feel he's still OP and still a negative play experience? I think he'll be less of a negative player experience because in your example, and just to make sure I understand your the way you're saying, so you're saying that he would essentially get everything that he has now currently in terms of slots and loadout points only if he comes equipped with the, the elite title, correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay. In that case, the, the negative play experience would go down lower because now you have to make a conscious attempt to take the evade action as your action to trigger Juke. And that will essentially turn off your double tap ability unless you somehow get coordinated and get that done ahead of time. And it takes a lot more work to make that combo pay off more and in, in, in effect make that particular combo a lot more stronger because you get two shots um, but it requires a lot more more resources in order for that Vader to work. And it also makes Vader a lot more vulnerable defensively um, by not having that um, that automatic evade every single time on it. Now, that being said, is Vader super defensible? Absolutely not. He, he was actually, if you concentrate fire on him, just like George said before, he can go down pretty easily, you know, with bad dice variants. Um, but you kind of have to really count on that um, and consistently in order for you to chew through all of Vader's health because that is seven health on three dice and she usually has a focus and a an evade uh, on his part. By adding that the tie elite piece, he's not getting that automatic evade, uh, which reduces both his offense and defensive potential if he's not getting coordinated consistently. And that's while he still has the potential to have a high damage spike, it if you remove some of those pieces around it, or you have that chip dedicating itself solely to backing up Vader, then it's all right. So I would say it's a lot less feel bad. Than so how about this? Let's is. let's forget about the the elite piece for a second, and let's just say Defender Vader gets zero loadout points. Is it if is he a feel bad anymore? No, I don't think so. Okay, what if I give him three points so he could take Shattering Shot? Uh, it, it wouldn't work. Because of his ability, but sure, that's fine. <laughs> or, okay, what is he taking? Oh, uh, malice. Sorry. malice. What if I give him six points and let him take malice? Is uh, it six it's points? It's only four points. It's four points. Yeah. So he gets four points. Can take malice. Still a feel bad. With an automatic evade, probably not, because you have a better chance on defense at that point. So then we've isolated the one feel bad experience. To juke so you're telling me so, is hang on. juke if you, if you remove his four slot and still give him juke still better because you have less of a chance of pushing in those crits to regenerate uh his force for future attacks so that also is true that would also reduce his field bats as well so you could take either slot away and then give him enough points to take whichever stupid upgrade vader wants to take Yes, he would still be good, but the, uh, in my opinion, his feel bad level will be significantly down at that yeah. point. 
So to me, what I feel we've isolated is not that Vader needs to be nerfed. <laughs> Vader just needs a slot taken away or points lowered to allow you to take one of the two upgrades. Yeah. Okay. I would agree. Yeah. What, like to 12 points maybe? I don't know. Like, what do you, what are you thinking? Well, if Malice is six and or, or Malice is four and Juke is, is six, you have to lower them to nine. You have yeah. to put them at nine points. And that I guess. feels even worse. Uh, I, again, I don't think I don't think he's a problem. I think he's fine. Yeah. Would you still consider taking him though at with with nine points? Yes. Personally, um, personally, I would even I wouldn't even do the defender Vader. I think uh, the other X one X one's better. Yeah, uh, me personally. That's just my opinion, though. <laughs> there you go. Deslin said he feel they feel that Malice Juke is fine, just no HLC. I agree with that. That that if you took the cannon slots away, my, unless they took the elite title, how about this? Take the cannon and missile slots away, unless they take the elite title. I'm probably okay with that actually on Vader only because that. Yeah, on Vader, but yeah, the other defenders sort of need that cannon slot. Yes, yeah. they do. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah absolutely. The, the defenders should have, okay, yes. <laughs> but like, I, I agree, like, it, fine. So really, if the feels bad is Juke or and Malice together, then we have the problem. If the feels bad is the cannon slot that gives you the four dice plus the Juke and Malice, then okay, then then, then you can tweak this with a, with a loadout because, okay, and the same thing, think about it this way. Instead of getting rid of any slots, if you could take, if you had nine points, that would allow you to take Malice, but not HLC. You couldn't take any cannon, but Jamie, Jamie Beam. Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, <coughs> but you could take Shatter, or, uh, Malice and. Um, what did I say, Malice? No, you could take Juke. No, you could take Malice and HLC for eight points, which then still yeah. allows you to have the feels bad, right? Like, it, well, if, I mean, it, it's not too bad at that point, mainly because you can't have any crits on HLC. Everything gets knocked down to a hit. So, I mean, kind of counterintuitive there, but I mean, it does give you a four dice shot at range if you line it up. I mean, okay. So, so, and again, and I, I, I I try to be as open as I can. I, just, I, I I'm I'm in the George camp though. I just genuinely don't think Vader Defender is the bigger issue here. I genuinely think that the bigger issue in the long run of things could be a few loadout points changes. Um, or let's get rid of a talent slot or the force slot. I don't care which personally. I don't I don't even run Vader Defender. Uh and I never and I ran it for like two weeks and then I was like, this is boring. I'm gonna not run this. Um I think the bigger thing is what you can surround him with. And and I disagree a little bit because I still think you could take your black one squadron, which would be very thematic. They're two points, but they can't take... They're not an ISB jingoist. They're not an I-4. They're an I-3. That does... If we talk about what's common in the meta, I-3 is your average lowest initiative for the most part in this meta, unless you're Finn and you're the god of hell. Um, at an I2. And so I really just think the bigger question and the bigger thing is, is is if we tweaked what surrounds Vader, 
would we a see Vader as much in competitive play um, versus just having fun with him? And B, if you're a new player and you're playing against a veteran player and the veteran player breaks out Darth Vader to Vendor, and yes, I'm talking to you, Ken, um, and you play a brand new player with Darth Vader to Vendor, you created the MPE, not Darth Vader Defender. You were the one that did that. <laughs> not, not Vader Defender, buddy. Um, and it's just a little joke. Ken, if Ken watches this, he'll, he'll laugh. Um, he's helping me with Michigan GT, and he loves Defenders. Like, that's his favorite ship in the whole game. It's a cool um, ship. Yeah, definitely. It is. It really is. Yeah. It looks cool. Anyway, so. All right, last thoughts on Vader Defender because I feel like we've won JJ over. I feel like JJ came in hot and heavy, ready to ban Vader Defender, ready to say F this, no, like, F this noise, man. I'm done with this. I said adjust. I said adjust. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we've won you over to the side of really it's more what goes around him and a little bit of his, his um, loadout costs that allow him to be the menace that he is. And again, I would still challenge. I don't feel he breaks the game that much. Like, I don't think, you know, and we could talk chafe clouds if you really want to. It feels like a waste because we already did that. But we could talk chafe clouds because a lot of people, <coughs> um, specifically Jeremy Chamberlain, uh, who I believe is, isn't he a great cup guy? Like, is like adamantly anti chafe clouds and think they should be banned. And I'm like, I don't know about that. Like, no. I, I'm not for that. I don't like banning things. I do think FFG doesn't always consider all of the things that it, that can be played with it, right? I do agree that I I'm not cons I don't know if FFG was always the best um, play tester, if we call it that, um, when they created things. But I don't know. Like I have not heard about these crazy things in from AMG with like my Marvel crisis protocol. When something crazy happens, they typically take care of it pretty quickly. And the, to me, yeah. them not taking care of Vader kind of means to me that the, it, it, this isn't as crazy of a, a idea that, that I think people just want to hate defenders. I think that's really what it is. And people wanted to hate Vader defender before he existed. Like it was a thing before, like when did, when did we get that released? Oof. Uh, it came in the Sky Strike Academy pack. That was last year. Yeah. Yeah. Was that before yeah. we started podcasting or after? Probably right after. Okay. Because there was a certain individual on this podcast that did playtesting who can announce that they did playtesting for Defender Vader and that was that OP in our playtesting. But it also didn't get juke. You know, so there's that. Yeah. It's fine. Everything's fine here. All right. Can we just gloss <laughs> over this? Next week, yeah. Next week, good. our discussion with Def D on Defender Devader. Yeah, there you go. Maybe you'll have a, a a buddy in D. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I. I don't, I, I don't know. I I think you'll be more in your camp, honestly. Yeah, I'm a little more conservative. I think when it comes to those things, I like restricted lists a yeah. lot. Just so you know, I'm a big uh, proponent of restricted lists. All right, let's transition. We right. have been, so for those who have just joined us, and if you're new, and I say this for the replay mainly, <laughs> if you've just joined Planning Face Syndicate, we are currently in the middle of a conversation about comparing chess to X-Wing. And a little history on that 
is the idea behind this kind of came from a buddy of mine uh, who used to podcast with us. His name is Matt. And Matt always Matt was a, always a big chess fan. I played chess with Matt since I was in high school. Just so everybody knows. I've been friends with Matt since high school. And we played a lot of chess together, especially when we were bored um, and couldn't drink or do drugs. So there was that. And um, chess was always kind of been a thing. And so when we got into competitive board gaming together, he compared X-Wing to chess. And originally I kind of dismissed it and I said, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Chess is dumb, but it's not really dumb. Chess is actually a really amazing game that there's a lot of strategy that goes into, um, which I'm learning even more about having to understand that there is so many opening maneuvers. It's insane. It's crazy. We are not going to go over every opening chess maneuver, by the way. <laughs> we are definitely not doing that. That would be boring. That would be for a chess podcast. That We are not. Um, but the idea came is that when we talk about X-Wing, what is the closest strategic board game you can compare it to that's nationally or widely known? And chess is one of that. Um, so what I wanted to do is, is create a series, especially for um, uh, people that want to learn about X-Wing strategy and talk through a lot of the different um, pieces that go along with chess strategy and how it relates to X-Wing strategy. So I believe in our journey... We've spent a lot of time defining things, which is the Tanner thing, just so you know. I spend a lot of time doing that for work. So it's probably transitioning into the podcast a little bit more than maybe it should. But we have spent a couple of weeks talking about what chess theory is, what are the different you know scenarios, the different principles of it, and then we're finally now getting into the meat and bones of it. So we started with chess theory and, and discussing what different pieces kind of go together. So there's three phases, opening, mid game, end game. Those are your three phases. Then you have what we would call the principles of chess theory, which there is, I can't remember. What was it? There's five principal theories of chess theory, material count, Peace activity, pawn structure, the space, and king safety. Those are your five main um, principles that encompass all of chess theory. Then what we decided to do is we're tonight we're going to be talking about opening theory, and 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 there's a whole like that's like the biggest piece to chess theory is the opening maneuvers, the opening setup, how you want to create it, all these different things. So what I thought I'd do. And this is what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about opening theory. We're going to talk about the six principles of opening theory. And then we're going to actually say, what is opening theory in relation to X-Wing? Because it is sure as hell based on when we defined all of our pieces, not protecting the king because there's not very many kings in X-Wing as we've discovered over the course of the last three episodes. Two episodes has been two or three. I don't know how however many yeah, bloody episodes we've done this. All right, so let's define chess opening theory is a position that has been explored with a set established moves and explores why these moves are made. You then have what's called a novelty, which is a move that was previously unknown in chess theory by either neither being played nor or I'm sorry, or by neither being studied. So it's basically like a, a new revelation. And I'll give an example. 
a Crispy's list where he has the two FO bombers, Kylo with the Whisper, and two TIE FOs was kind of a new revelation into the meta. That was a weird FO salad that with all the toys and pieces worked very well together. And then Crispy developed the novelty of how you move those pieces together and how you go about it. The one caveat to this is what they would call a setup slash system, which is a set of moves that can be played against any list. These essentially are different from a theory. So if we talk about a setup or we talk about a chess system, it is essentially something that is defined where people play the exact same moves, no matter what, who they're playing, whatever the opponent plays or how the opponent's playing. They don't change it. They play it exactly the same. Um, which is probably Vader Defender. <laughs> like if we're gonna just be honest, <laughs> Vader Defender, like, is that part of that system. So it doesn't matter what objective Vader Defender plays, he doesn't pick up the objective and he doesn't go for objectives. He only goes to murder things. Um and, and give you a negative play experience according to JJ. Um, who must have had two of them this weekend at Grey Cup. So uh, I, I actually played uh five different Vaders. Killed two of them though. See, and that's the power of Boba and Eamon. Anyway. Um, yes. So, and Kanan. Kanan does yeah, work. Mainly Kanan. Yes, Kanan. Yep. <laughs> but I would consider that list to not be a, set, a system setup because you are not doing the exact same maneuvers with that list, no matter how you who you play against. That list is extremely versatile in that you could run Boba Eamon together because it's a smaller list set, you could be separating them because you know you need to bomb certain pieces of it to get more points. There's a whole there's a whole set to that um that list style, which we're gonna get into. So just so everybody's aware, like the idea here is we're building up to having conversations about objectives. I'm taking this a little slower just because I think the objectives might get changed again in October. And I don't want to redo those segments. <laughs> just so everybody knows that's how this whole thing occurred. Um all right. So now we got to talk about the opening, what I would call the six opening theory principles for chess. Develop your piece. Control the center of the board will control the game. Coordinate your pieces to maximize their potential. Protect your king, obviously. <laughs> Do not bring your king out too early unless it's part of your maneuver. And don't blunder, which is just a silly rule or principle that I thought was the dumbest thing I've ever, ever heard of in my life. So let's talk a little bit about this. JJ, we'll start with JJ. What, what do you feel develop your piece means? Well, develop your pieces, making sure that your piece is set up in a place where it can be um, at its maximum efficiency uh, to come in and do it. Uh, to do what they do best. Let's take, for instance, uh, General Grievous. It's a ship that everybody knows very well. Um, recently in the meta, one of the most common configurations for General Grievous is outmaneuver, right? So typically that means that if you have that particular piece, you want to set up your Grievous in a, in a way that you're set up to take the flank on another enemy ship to get the maximum benefit from Grievous's potential. Um, Grievous natural ability is to get rerolls if he's flanking um, the enemy ship that he's attacking. And if you combine that with outmaneuver, you get an even bigger hit on that particular target. That's what makes Grievous that much of a, of a great flanking piece um, in your separatist list for it. 
Um, so when we're talking about developing your piece, it's just making sure that you set up that piece to, to come in at an angle where you can um, maximize his effectiveness by coming in either through the rear of the opponent's list or through the sides, so that way he can help start eliminating some of those targets uh, for the rest of your list to do what they need to do in that, uh, in that position. George, how about you? What do you, what do you feel develop your piece mean? What does that mean to you when I tell you that? Um, well, in X-Wing, I, I kind of relate it more to what your, what your list is, what, what your list consists of in the first place. So like all your cards, what you're putting on General Grievous, for example, um, if you're going to go without maneuver in the first place, or you're going to put something else on an afterburners, whatever predator, uh, you know, other different, um, upgrades on your list and then know what they do so that you remember as the game goes on what the triggers you're going to have to remember. So that's what it kind of means to me, basically. All right. So the way that they describe it is essentially is, is, is the idea of getting your pieces to mid game, right? So if you watch nickel city and watch me lose a, um, a, a droid in the first engagement to a Han with only a Ray mod, you would understand that I obviously failed very hardcore at getting my droid to the mid game phase because he didn't get to shoot a discord missile. He didn't get to shoot nothing. He just died. Now, some of that's a dice variance thing, but still I didn't need to even put him and, and at range three of Han. I, I could, I or range two of Han. I could have kept him back a little bit farther, which would have been the smarter move versus the, Tanner, who just likes to throw all his shit in the middle and just say, let's throw all dice. Um, I like that a little bit more, I think. Anyway, <clears throat> um, so essentially you're developing your minor pieces. That's what you're trying to do, right? And, and, you, and you're making sure that you're creating a safety net for whatever piece you need. So you're setting up essentially your internal play method, right? Um, the next one is controlling the center. So I'll throw it out there if anybody wants to commentate on it. I think we don't control the center in X-Wing per se, but I think at the exact same time we do because there's an objective in the center and we either want to keep people out of that center or in the center, one of the two. So for example, an A-Wing list wants to avoid the center when people are dropping mines through there or bombs. But there, that's that's a knobby reference there. But... Um, if you have a bunch of Y wings from resistance, you want to circle that center to drop your stuff, to force your opponents to not be able to go anywhere or do anything. So you can control them and nest them into it. So I think it's a little bit different, but what is control the center mean to you, George? Uh, know what the objectives are, I think is the, the key factor there. So, uh, you know, if you have to, if it's assault and you have to keep, you know, you have to keep a ship within range one of an objective. You, that's your object. That's what you got to do. Make sure that you have a couple of pieces to take care of those zones. Um, but at the same time, you know, trying to prevent your opponent from getting to their zones or, you know, doing what you can to stop that from happening. JJ. Yeah, I definitely agree with George. Um, for for me, you know, the it's uh, because of the two point five objectives. Um, every scenario has a centerpiece, which in most games that's where you're basing where you're placing your obstacles. Right, you're always measuring how far um, you're placing your your objectives from that centerpiece, and the more um, 
the more closer you're placing your objectives to the center, that's going to um, determine the circle, how wide that circle of the center is. Uh, when you consider the objectives like um, assault on satellite array, uh, which is the area control, it is possible to stay in the center and hit two points and controlling that piece uh, throughout the game to control those those two points is something that's very, very big. And you want your list to either be very good at controlling that center, setting yourself up for that, or uh, making sure you deny your opponent either if you're not able to control that center and uh, and make sure that they don't take that benefit from you um, uh, or use it against you in the game. Yeah, a lot of this comes from before the game even begins too. So like you can use rock placements as a form of control as well. Yep, fair enough. And a lot of what they talk about in chess theory is <clears throat> controlling peace, mobility, and flexibility, taking advantage of your opponent, um, influencing the game for your positions, right? And attacks that build towards a more decisive advantage. So... The next one is coordinate your pieces to maximize the potential. Do you think in chess, like a rook can coordinate a knight, an extra move? Is that a thing? <laughs> no, no. But in chess speak, it's probably just uh, ensuring that you set up moves ahead of time for your other bigger pieces to come in and be effective. Like, for instance, um, like, uh, like moving up the the knight's pawn uh, up so that way you leave a path for either the um, the bishop uh, to move out uh, uh, to come out and kind of help engage in the center or you can move the bishop's pawn to help the queen come out and help out and uh, take out the and threaten different pieces on the board I think that's what they, they make that relationship George yeah kind of similar in that that aspect you can also set up like a like a good old-fashioned bait-and-switch it's a little bit harder to do in chess, I would I would say, but maybe in X Wing you can maybe put your pawn out there as sort of a bait, uh, knowing that even if he dies, you're you're setting up that it's that you know when your opponent is focusing in on that pawn, you can maximize with the grievous coming in from the flank again and like you know positioning in a much better advantageous spot basically. Yep. So essentially, they coordinating your pieces is claiming space on the board to control key spaces that your opponent would want. That's essentially on a high level what they're trying to do. And it's to slow down the progress of your opponent being able to come in and take control of vital areas that you would want. And I think that's exactly right, right? You know, the flanking mentality, which I think is a good point that we should be adding to what we're going to talk about in a minute. But that flanking mentality is, if I put Grievous on the right side and Django on the left side, who do you want? Pick. I could set them up to begin with that way, and you can set your whole list up, and you have to pick what you want. And I will tell you, and 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 George, you could tell me maybe this is a trap, but I'll put Grievous on the left side and I'll put Django towards the middle, right? And what'll happen is all of a sudden I see an I five and I six lineup over here in front of Grievous. Are you going to joust them with Grievous? <laughs> Uh, it depends on your opponent. Okay, if they have a Poe, let's say they yep. have a Poe and um, Azizi. I don't know. Poe and Azizi. You going to joust Poe and Azizi with the Grievous? Not likely. Okay. You're going to take them and say, fine, you want to come get me? I'm going to dart to the right because I'm going to put a Grievous in the left because that's my favorite part, part of the board to put Grievous on is the left. 
I'm going to dart to the right and shoot up the center behind my Django fat. So I'm going to let my Django fat go in there and say, hey, folks, I'm the same eye as you, initiative as you, and we get to roll for who gets to go first to your baby and doesn't mean you're going to win that. And then I'm going to have my Grievous come back in and flank you. And it's the same way as if I set Grievous up over here and Django fed over here, and all of a sudden everybody goes in on Django. Here comes Grievous, five straight, three bank boost, you know, that type of thing to come in and, and outmaneuver you to get my shots to try and murder you. Protect your king. That's the next one. I think this is a, a really quick and simple one, and you guys can either agree or disagree, and we can talk about it. But to me, there isn't a king, very many kings in chess. Very or in X-Wing very often. So really, it's your wing condition. What is your main wing condition and how do you protect that? And if your main wing condition is taking objectives and stalemating so that you don't lose ships all the time, or is your main wing condition taking your list and, you know, taking one objective or two objective and then murdering things, you know, but controlling your wing condition to allow it to succeed, to me, is the protect your king of X-Wing. What is your guys' thoughts? Well, I think that in X-Wing, um, you know, just just thinking back to, like, our discussion for, like, what pieces are kings and, you know, not really identifying any kings. I think that the king... Except for Vader, well, according to you. Uh, <laughs> well, um, I've actually uh, won a game for killing that piece. But anyway, um, I think the king role, the king role kind of... Sh- is a fluid concept in next wing right because it 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 does vary from list to list um and it does vary on the situation for it right um so there'll be times where you could be ahead on objective points and you can have a um a high value ship uh, like a seven pointer for instance that could be on the verge of dying and flipping the tables and giving your opponent to the advantage um, at that point, that particular piece, um, when it's vulnerable to being destroyed, now becomes that king that you need to protect and make sure that you keep him alive at all costs. So that way you can, in, in essence, protect your win condition, um, either by um, like passive points from objectives um, or taking out your opponent's pieces who are also vulnerable, essentially taking out your opponent's king in that case. And I think that's how that translates into X-Wing. George? Yeah, I'm kind of in that same boat. Um, protecting your king, but to me, kind of means two things, right? Like, obviously, you have that big piece that if you lose, you could possibly lose the game. Um, but your king could also be that win condition. So once you see that win condition and you go for it, like you're 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 in the lead or something like that, like you want to maintain that that win alive basically so if you got a bug out you bug out and that's pretty that's pretty much what jj was saying basically yep the next one is don't bring your queen out too early i think i think that's yeah i i don't know i i we talked about queens there's a lot of queens in x-wing i think i think i agree with that like if you're gonna like i think luke at six points is a queen that you can trade right like you could trade luke if as long as Luke gets double his points value or uh 1.5 worth of it, like as long as he's getting nine value out of him, you could trade your queen, but you don't give Luke up without taking something out. And no offense. There's a gentleman at Gen Con. I played with my Boba Eamon Kanan list. 
where Luke was on this side of the screen, Boba's over here, and here comes Luke, here comes Luke. One proton shot is all they got off on Boba. One. And it was not shattering shot or trick shot, which they had, was not out there. And, you know, the proton shot did two damage to Boba, which was two shields, and then Boba promptly said, bump, 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 bump. Oh, here we go, Luke. You really, yep. Come on, come here, come here, baby. Like, you know, like, I'm just going to keep eating you. And, and that in the end, it was a bad trade for that. That was a mistake. They shouldn't have gone after Boba. They should have come closer to the center and used their concentrated shot on Eamon because that would have gotten them, Eamon at least at half points, if not possibly permanently killed because <laughs> it's Eamon and he don't live, they don't live like uh Boba lives. very much yeah, yeah. <laughs> even does not like proton torpedo shots at all and i don't like putting shave clouds on iman i just i don't get it i like iman for his ability i don't care what anybody says that's just like my favorite thing about iman here's a proxy three yeah. heart baby anyway oh i should play skill bombardier on iman even more be even more fun yeah, but you can't do a four, like a four hard turn. I know, because they don't exist. But if they did, it would be so much fun. Can you imagine if they created an errata? I'm going to say, I'm just going to tangent. If you create an errata where you could just add the one after it. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. Oh. no. Insta-ban. Yum, 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 yum. Mm. I'm a bummer by heart, but insta-ban. Gosh, insta no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No three. <laughs> no Get four hearts. No four hearts. A four bank. Imagine. Oh. <laughs> Chef? No, hell no. Anyway, all right. Uh, Anything else for don't bring your queen out too early? Yeah, and the the other part of it too is like understanding which pieces um, that do want to get out there early and go in there, and versus uh, pieces that don't want to do there uh, do that. Um, especially just depending on your deployment, right? Like if you have a one on one situation where you have a fairly good chance for your ship to come out on top in a, in a fire exchange then at that point yes go ahead and do it you know take the chance to do it but if you're a single ship and you're going to joust like four heavy ships that are coming in with ordinance like straight ahead of you um that's that's probably not going to work out for you <laughs> for the joust you know and yeah. and i think that's um that's a uh, uh that's a skill in identifying those situations that uh, for like newer players, they have to kind of develop to understand that um, that even though you might have a really good three agility ship, um, your green dice will betray you, uh, especially with multiple shots. And going straight into a joust early in the beginning of the game versus multiple ships is usually a very very bad idea. So, fire spray reinforces your friend. I hate reinforcing, but I know it would save my life. And the other thing is, don't leave your Grievous to bait Vader unless you know you can kill Vader. It is not a good trade. Vader will eat your Grievous every time, as JJ knows. Yep. Four dice. I couldn't believe that. Sorry. I just couldn't believe like the frustration of JJ throwing his cards down. Boom. 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 You just see how angry you were on stream. It was hilarious. It was like, ah, there's an angry JJ. I can see it. Yeah. JJ's getting tilted. Yeah, I, I there were a couple of times I got tilted. I was like, damn. But then, you know, it, it's it happens, man. It happens. So. 
All right. The last one was don't blunder. I whatever. That's the equivalent of fly better. Like I, I see that as the stupidest principle. I don't know why anybody would put that in there. In I guess, pay attention to your opponent. Sure, that makes sense. Under it's it's really to me this one should say not that but should actually say understand what your opponent's trying to do. That's what I feel. That last well, that last one is. I actually understand that's a little bit different. I think um, in this case, it, as, as it relates to X-Wing, is double-check yourself all the time. I can't tell you how many times, especially running you know, multiple of the same chassis where you accidentally set a dial for one particular ship and then assign it to the wrong ship, and then when you reveal it, you're going the wrong way of where you intended to because that dial is meant for a different ship. Um, taking the time, especially in the heat of the moment, to like just double check where you're going, right? Double check your dials, make sure that you dialed in correctly. Um, instead of trying to rush to like get through the round or take your shot, um, is a skill that is so invaluable. I mean, I've personally flown ships off the map because I didn't check my dial. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is, but it, it does happen. Yeah, I'll give you one too. Um, I had a game where I was going against the FO, the FO list, the FO bomber list, Crispy's list. Um, and I had my Django right behind one of the bombers. And in my head, I was like, well, this isn't a bad spot. I have the back arc. I can shoot the, the bomber no problem. Uh, and then drop a, a proxy right on him the next round. Well, I forgot. Initiative is a thing. And you make mistakes. <laughs> you make mistakes sometimes. You know that at system phase, that uh, that initiative two is going to go before your Django, and he's going to drop the bomb before you do. <laughs> so yeah. that's the thing. Just pay attention. <laughs> and that's fair. I mean, I think I had a similar thing where I brought a bombardment drone in and took an objective because I felt behind and then thought, it's five health. I'm not going to die. And then two very well-placed shots later, one from an aggressive Poe, which did three damage, and one from a Han, which did two damage. I no longer had a bombardment drone to kill Han with the next turn. Um, So, yeah. And you just... Certain things you don't think about ahead of time. Like, there was zero reason you couldn't just take and double calculates. Kept not taking the objective because in the long run Han's worth more points than the objective is so um, yeah alright so now what I wanted to do with the rest of the, the time that we have together and, 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 and folks we will not be 11 o'clock tonight this is not going to be an 11 o'clock show this will be we are going to work to be done at 1030 because exciting news we're going to do a extended universe episode where we talk about Andor yes. at 1130. Very excited. We are definitely yes. doing that. Um, George, you're welcome to stay on if you want. You don't have to if you don't want to. I am so excited by Andor. You have no idea. Um, I really, oh my God, I really want to talk about it, especially with people that are a little bit more into lore than I am. Um, they uh, smoke less pot than I do, so they remember things better than I do. So um, <laughs> there's that thing, type of thing. Yeah. But anyway. Long story short, what I wanted to do was talk about, okay, we talked about chess theory opening theory. We got to talk about X-Wing opening theory, and I'm going to lay out the scenario here. X-Wing opening theory involves 
a lot of different things. It doesn't just involve once you start the game. Like to me, opening theory in chess is pretty uh, easier to identify because you set up the exact same way every time. No questions asked. There is literally no other way you can set up your chess board other than the prescribed way. X-Wing is not that way. And so I will give a little secret away for those of you who haven't played very long. Obstacle placement is one of the top priorities of opening theory for X-Wing. And I'll be honest, that is my weakest, that is 100% my weakest personal point is obstacle placement. Like 100%. I will just openly admit that is definitely like a key piece. So anybody locally watching that would like to either beat me or train me how to do it better for our team event that we're all going to in December. Hint, hint. That is the the piece that Tanner needs a lot of work on that I definitely do not get right every time. Especially with freaking gauntlets. Like, anyway. Hey, let's put an obstacle right in the middle so the two droids can land on it. And then, oh, by the way, Bo-Katan and pre don't know how to get around it. Anyway, um, so let's talk about what would be our opening theory principles for X-Wing. And I'm going to start with George. I'm going to pick on George, and George has to go force first for this. So what is what? your number one opening principle for developing X-Wing theory, Dr. George? Well, I don't know if this is going to be on your list. That's it, it, I have you can see on my screen there is no list. It's question yeah. box. So okay, okay. We're we're building this baby. We're building this together. Uh, well, it, it's something you can't really do in chess because in chess you're always going to have the same pieces. But I think a really solid opening theory principle is bringing the right list. Your list choice, basically. Yeah. All right. And good one. What makes that? What do you think? Like, uh, so can you elaborate a little bit on it? Like, you know, right. What, um, what, how does it affect you versus bringing like the wrong list? Well, there's always going to be, there's also, there's always going to be a meta and you have to understand the meta. So I think part of that goes into researching what the meta is and understanding what the strengths of the metas is and the, what, what the weaknesses are. Um, so, for example, if you know you're going to go up against, uh, you know, uh, a Vader list, for example, then bring a list that could be strong against that. If that's a list that you really feel uh, fear, then you bring a list that can maybe counter that list. Um, or, you know, just in general, just fly the best list you can. <laughs> FO is really strong right now. Fly the FO list. Republic lists are really strong right now. Resistance is super strong. Um, and then find the, find the best list within those factions and you know, be prepared for what you're going to face, basically. All right. JJ, what about you? What's your top one? Um, the kind of in the same vein as George, um, know your opponent's list. Now, um, for a newer player, that's a little bit more difficult um, because if you're coming into the game for the first time, you're obviously not going to get uh, to understand um, like every single possible interaction with most of these lists, you're not going to understand most of the pilots that are going to come in for the list. But taking the time to read the cards, asking questions for your opponents, especially if it's in a casual setting, so that way you can understand when some of those pilot abilities trigger um, or how some of the upgrades interact with the abilities that trigger, 
uh, for instance, Defender Vader or Juke, um, just uh, helps the player prepare themselves and not be caught off guard um, when when they're playing um, that list later on in the game, right? For instance, like if you see Vader uh, set up on the flank and you have a particular ship on the flank that you know Vader's going to come in to get the first shot in there, you know, rather than a possible reposition, which may not precisely help you to get out of the reach of Vader, um, take that focus token because you're going to know that that juke is going to come and you are probably going to need that that token to help mitigate that um, that change to your defensive dice and help you prevent damage down the line. Um, so I think uh, <clears throat> taking the time to review your opponent's list before you actually start the game helps you arm you with information to make better decisions as the game goes along. And I agree with you. I think that's actually, I, so when you say, Hey, not all new players are going to know this. And that's, that's, that's very true. But understanding if you were a new player, that would be something you would want to work on or work towards is a benefit. And I would say if you read any of the um, opening chess theory um, blogs or books, there's 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 actually quite a few books, by the way. Um, I've only read one, just so you know. One. <laughs> there's so many of these damn things. Um, but anyway, like they actually talk about that. As a new player, you have to... You may not be able to focus on every one of the opening principles, but you should be able to focus on a few of them and understand how the different interactions work. Because if you just understand the setup system aspect that we talked about with, you know, essentially how a list just does exactly the same thing every time, you're not actually considering the theory behind how everything interacts and works together. Um, and I think, you know, like here again, this is no shame. Like I will admit I have a lot of growth to do as a player and understanding all of these opening mechanics. Um, in the chat, we had um, somebody po somebody named Axiom post, know the scope of ability and loadouts. Super strong. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's very, that that's very viable, right? Like understanding what all the different abilities do and all what all the loadouts do and how can you, um, how can you create an interactive list that will interact with your environment on a positive, on a positive nature? So I think that's that's a great one. I'm going to put that down. Anybody else want to elaborate? Uh, well, um, know your scope of ability, right, ability, right? So, like, me, for example, like, the very first time I played uh, the Separatist list, I didn't do so hot, right? Because I didn't take the time to, like, fully understand what all my stuff did. I was kind of learning as I was playing and that's not the right way to play. Like, obviously you're learning as you go. That was a practice game, but like in an actual tournament, that's not how you want to show up. Um, so if it's a competitive like environment, you want to be already prepared and know your list like through and through so that the only thing you have to worry about when you're there is knowing, basically picking up what your opponent is going to like, what your opponent is doing. You, you already know your list by memory. Yeah. Very solid. <clears throat> How about another one? What's another one? JJ, hit me with another one. Hit me with uh, your best know, shot. Know your, your objectives, right? Um, a lot of people, when they're playing these scenario objectives, they tend to just generalize it. 
um, for instance, uh, chance engagement, control the center, uh, scramble. Uh, you've got three objectives that you got to take an action and just place a nilly willy. Uh, salvage, just place five obstacles on the board and try to get them. Those are very general descriptions for it, but you have to be able to recognize what exactly is how your list is going to react to those particular scenarios and, and formulate a strategy to how to try to come up on top for it. Um, some objectives are a little more easier than others, just depending on what your list is. Um, and I'll, I'll use my particular uh, list that I use for Crate Cup, uh, something I've been using for, for a while now, uh, my double fire spray and uh, in Canaan list, which is a, a hawk. Um, that particular list um, does not like salvage mission because um, I understand that if I'm facing off against other lists that have a higher ship count, it is more difficult for me to capture those particular objectives on the board um, than, and hold on to them than my opponent has. My opponent has more ships, therefore can spend, use more of those ships to go grab those objectives and puts the onus on me to try to get those ships off the board or at least make them drop their objectives so that way they don't constantly score points on that particular scenario. So understanding that um, helps me place those scenario objectives on turn zero um, in a way that benefits me, where I can place them more towards the center, where I want that area of engagement with my list so that way I can punish that particular ship that may try to come for that particular salvage token. Um, and that way I can um, try to prevent them from getting those points by either eliminating the ship or uh, making them suffer a critical damage um, from my attacks. And that's how I try to mitigate that. Um, other ships, uh, for instance, uh, like the, the separatist list, uh, a lot of them that run droids, um, usually tend to suffer a little bit in chance engagement, mainly because they are very fragile and they're easy to, uh, they, they can blow up very easily. Um, running them in into the center of the objective and getting blown up by particular uh, potential bombs or uh, very accurate shots, probably not the best way to go in. You want to try to set them up in different areas and try to control that um, and so that way you can try to best get that advantage in the game. Oh, yeah. And with that, like understanding the types of obstacles they, and what they do. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. So yeah. when you're selecting your obstacles, right, like to bring you want to bring obstacles that are going to be stronger towards your list um, or, you know, they have a purpose. So like, for example, my droids, you know, they like debris and, and asteroids. That's fine. They can land on them, but they don't like gas clouds. Um, in a situation where I might bring a, a gas cloud, it could be somebody who has, uh, this is just something I like to do. For example, uh, if I'm using the child, on a ship, for example, I might be enticed to bring those gas clouds just to get those target locks off of me. I might run over the gas cloud on purpose just to get those target locks off of whoever has the child. Yep. <clears throat> so the next one that I was going to say, basically what George was saying is the obstacle placement. Where do you want to place your obstacles to help you develop lanes based on what your list wants to do? So I fly separatists a lot. So for me, the lanes are a little bit less important um, for what I want to do and more important for where I want my opponents to go, right? 
So especially if I got the, especially with the new, then the new weird long obstacle debris cloud that you can have, I can land two droids comfortably on that thing. Oh yeah. Um, and and I can also use that obstacle to place in between two objectives and land my droid in the center and pick up both those in assault. I will say, droids love assaults at the satellite array. That is like their favorite. Favorite, I, I don't care what anyone says. That is their favorite, especially with Django Fett or even without Django Fett, just with droids. That's like their favorite scenario because they just sit there. You have to go kill them then. And then you know where your opponent's going to be. So you, if you can get there faster, you can set up faster. Um, and like the best part is, is especially if you're running against a three ship list, you know how many three ship lists I've shot a discord missile at. And then I get, I get really angry because they just shoot the discord missile that hit them. Cause I put it in the front, but then I always fail to forget that's one less four die shot coming into my droid. That's one less four die shot coming into that droid that they just got rid of for one calculate and four points. Like, all right, I think I did my job here, you know? Um, so yeah, so I think obstacle placement is great. Um, George, like you were saying, and, and, and you have to know what will benefit you versus harm you. And I will challenge and I think this is that's a good point, George, with the 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 um, non debris clouds and your um, gas clouds. I have been thinking about with droids, especially with a smaller droid list that does not land on the obstacles. What if I just brought all gas clouds? Because that's interesting, yeah. I'm not going to sit on them. Right, right. That's not your plan, so it makes sense. Yeah. Yep, and I can position them where if I have somebody like a Luke with a shattering shot trick shot coming through I can fly right through those or land right on that that gas cloud and yeah I might not get a shot but you can't kill me or hopefully you can't kill me because I'm going to get an extra dice and you're going to not be able to target lock me you know um but I think it's an interesting discussion because droids typically want to sit on rocks and how often I I don't know I've been running your list a little bit more often and how often do I not sit on an obstacle with one of those droids? A lot, actually. Like, unless it's very important to get that objective right there, I have not been sitting on an obstacle because it's just like I could move around. Well, why sit here? You know, I'm not going to score any points sitting here, so there's zero reason to sit here. Um. Yeah. Anyway, just my two cents. On- I've had to get my droids off of rocks just to chase people down sometimes you know and and come around swing around the corner and make sure that i get those discords on at this <laughs> at the right time yeah especially because even with an independent calculate it doesn't matter because you're not sharing but you could do a two straight barrel roll calculate for stress it's just, it's just, you just get one less calculate but you still shoot your discord missile and oh by the way i just went too forward and to the right it's yeah. you know what that move is you know what that move is it's a night move oh yeah it is a move yeah, that's right. Two that forward, right. one to the right. Yep. I'm sorry. <laughs> we love this chest a little too much. All right. What 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 else? What else, folks, goes into opening theory principles for X-Wing? Um, I'll jump in here. Uh, this is a big battle plan. Have a battle plan uh, versus um, certain list types that you know people are going to run. So, like, just uh, again, like, me, I love facing Vader list. This is just an example. Um, the way that I defeat Vader list is by not going after Vader and going after those ties. 
and even with an Iden, um, you can still, I'm pretty sure you, you can still do enough damage uh, to kill uh, at least a TIE fighter every single round until Vader's left with nothing. So, like, at the end of the game, it's a little harder to do with the chance engagement, but every other scenario, you shouldn't have any problem because Vader can't capture objectives by himself. So, yeah, agree. The other part I would say would be um, a good setup strategy is uh, understand your spacing. Um, in in this applies specifically with um, with like large counts uh, or large uh, list counts of ships. I should word that better. Uh, basically, if you if you're running like six, seven, or eight uh, ships in your list, uh, spacing is very very important uh, for your list. Um, and I'll pick on uh, the separatist drones for this one here. Um, a lot of people try to put the drones as close as possible together. So that way they could fit onto a single rock and try to get all the benefits from like being having that obstruction piece for it. But what they don't factor a lot of times is that when you're trying to rotate your droids, if the nubs uh, end up overlapping, then you could end up failing that rotation because the nubs do count for that, that rotation. So understanding to give yourself enough space in between ships. Uh, so that way, when you're doing more uh, like different maneuvers that are run down the line, or even like for instance the tie um, the tie fighters that like to fly in a group together, um, giving that proper spacing so that way when they do bank maneuvers, um, they can end up shifting just enough to bump into their friendly ship, causing them damage and denying them actions. Um, understanding that spacing when you're moving is a very big thing, and that's something that you have to start from the beginning in turn zero when you're placing your ships. And understanding that spacing in between your ships is very, very critical when flying. So the next one I would propose would be ship placement based on your initiative. So if you think about it, if you are all lower initiative, your ships probably go down before other people's ships. Understanding what you want to accomplish with where you put your ships allows you to create a different environment to force your opponent into what that you want to engagement engage with them. So for example, if you're flying all droids, if you put them all clustered into the center into two groups, your opponent might split their fire up. You can either choose to go all in on one all in on the other, or you can split both of your groups up and go in to both of them. But I think understanding your initiative and how you're placing makes a, a, a world difference. And, and I'll give an example with that. For example, when I run Jango Fett, because he's an I-6, if I have other I-6s I'm going against and we have a road roll, if I get the first road roll, I place different with my Jango than I do if I know I'm the last player. And I say that because if if... I know that there's going to be a Poe or Defender Vader, which I actually, I, I'll disagree a little bit with George in that I wouldn't be 100% anti-jousting Django with a Vader as long as I'm not going to be quite at that range one because I know that Vader is going to three hard, three bank, or 4K. That's what that Vader is going to do. <laughs> it doesn't do very many other options, and when it does, it loses its ability to punch. 
And so if I can get my joust just right with my Django, boop, there goes the proxy mine. Go ahead. You want a 4K? Oh, you're not going to 4K? Now I know you're going to three hard. So you're going to do one of the two maneuvers, and my Django is just going to either one bank or one hard, because if you three hard, I'm going to be behind you and force you no matter whether you're first or second. And if you're silly enough to 4K into a proxy mine, whatever, I'm going to shoot you out my butt. I'm just <laughs> like, like, I'll take the range one shot as long as you hit that proxy mine, because that's guaranteed damage. I don't have to worry about freaking evade. So I think understanding your ship placement based on your initiative and maybe even your opponent's initiative helps you to determine where you want to create your engagement field or um, your it go. I get maybe that goes into your battle plan, I guess, in that end, a, a, a asset. Yeah. But I agree with like uh, that is part of like. Um, I do think about that, too, so I, I'm I agree with you on that. <clears throat> All right. Any other ones? Hmm. Struggling here to get another one. <laughs> no, well, that's you a, don't that's have to. <laughs> yeah. JJ, yeah, any more? I, yeah, I can't. That's all I got on my end I can think of right now. Yeah. All right. I don't see any more from the chat. If anybody else in the chat has any more, you're welcome to. Drop them in there. We can add them to the list. Um, essentially, what we'll do is if we don't get to it next week, and, I, and I, I'll be honest, I probably we're going to probably take a break from our chess theory um, next week because we have Dion on, and I want to discuss. Um, I want to discuss alternate tournament styles and kind of go back to the discussion we had like two months ago because I really, I really think. And again, maybe this is a little bit of a bias on my behalf, but I really think this engagement that we're getting out of people going to in-person tournaments now and the more that we're seeing, I think is extremely beneficial. Like, I really think this is very good for the game. This is what people were worried about when we hit COVID. And now that we're getting back to it, I really hope that there is a open, lively discussion. And I will tell you, there is a tournament in December I'm going to with um, a group of locals where it, it's crazier than Cray Cup. It's we're going to put five lists against five lists, five lists. That's just insane to me. Um, it's too much, but whatever. That's what we're going to do. So <laughs> like old style XTC. That's yes. Like. Yeah, exactly. Like X XTC it, it, to some extent. I wonder if it's model after it. I'm not part of the coaching and uh, implementation. I'm just, I, we elected somebody else. Um, we just said, screw it. I, I, <laughs> I didn't want to be in charge. I didn't want anything to do with it. I literally just want to go play X-Wing. That's all I want to do. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how the whole thing's going to work, but we have a whole group of locals going down to Ohio. Um, we'll have more information on that um, once they start posting it. I don't know if they posted any of it. I think it's called... Um, I don't know what it's called. You're killing me here. I gotta go look it up. <laughs> uh, Rust Cup, possibly, is the name that I heard for it. Sounds about right. The Rust Cup, um, it, but it's in uh, Ohio. It used to be the Outrider, right? I think so. Yes, I think it used to be called yeah, the Outrider. Outrider. Yeah. Wow, I remember that. Yeah. So it's that's 1. what 1.0 days. 1.0 days. Yeah. Yeah. We're not playing 1.0 this time. Hopefully. Um, but <laughs> hopefully. we've been. <laughs> hopefully, I don't know how to play 1.0, so I hope we don't. I really hope we don't play 1.0. That would suck for me. Um. Anyway. All right. 
Well, cool. Well, thank you. I think that was a very productive segment. So next week we will be back and we will be talking about um, tournament formats, kind of how to get engaged a little bit more into the engagement. I also thought it would be a benefit to have a conversation about um, list building for the newer player. I think we're going to cover that next week because we I, I've had that on the docket for like four weeks now and we just haven't done that. But I think if we bring Dion in or Dion in, it will be a benefit to um, have a longer term experience player as well as somebody that does judging and maybe able to give some advice to that. So I think we're going to cover that plus crate cup, plus the alternative uh, tournament formats and how that all works. And could that work in a world's environment um, next week? And then the week after we will be back having a conversation. Um, uh, we're going to take all of these opening theory principles and we're going to apply them in TTS and actually analyze different opening maneuvers. So that get so guys, you got two weeks to, to build me some TTS lists and what you want to do for opening maneuver things. And we're going to actually talk and take these principles that we've been talking about and put them onto paper or screen. It's not paper. It's old school D and D stuff. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Anybody have any quick last shout outs uh, before we head out? Um, again, I want to, uh, I want to definitely shout out Chris Allen for organizing the Cray Cup event. Uh, definitely very well run. Uh, thank you for, to Dion from, uh, from Gold Squadron for coming out to doing the, uh, the streaming, uh, as well as Scott from Hexiled Gaming, uh, who was there co-commenting with him and also assisting with the camera stuff. Uh, you guys are awesome for coming down to this event and streaming it. And as well as all the awesome players that came around from everywhere, uh, to come out to play over at Cray Cup. We had a blast playing over there. I met so many people um, that uh, I can't wait to see again and uh, and have a blast again. Yeah. Awesome. And if you didn't know, we have one week until Michigan GT X-Wing Championship. We only have 10 spots left. So we have sold a whole bunch of tickets in the last month. So if you would still like to come compete... We have amazing prize support, a whole bunch of stuff that we have going on, plus this Mando kit, which I had confirmation that it officially arrived in the U.S. last week. So we officially have this kit. Um, nice. That's awesome. Looks so good. I'm super excited. Cannot wait uh, to do this. So if you are in Michigan and you want to come out, it is 40 bucks for the tournament. We do apologize, but there is going to be some amazing prize support, and we are working to not only do this kit, but actual not cash prizes. You can't see my quotes because you can't see my picture, but we're going to actually do um, like prize support that will equal the dollar amount. So if you're from Canada and you haven't come out yet, Deslin calling you out there, baby, come on down. It'll be a fun journey. They have cheap hotels. If you want to uh, spend the night and not have to drive back to seven hours to your homeland in another state, another country. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, so it'll be a fun that, that we will we'll also be talking about that next weekend, but um, it, it, it will be a smaller segment. We won't take up the whole show um, with that. So cool. Well, thank you all for joining us. Uh, we will be back next week, 9 p.m. Eastern time or 2100 hours, depending on where you live, if you would like. And um, if you would like, we are going to take a quick three minute break uh, to reset cameras and stuff. And we will be back with our. Universe Extended discussion on Andor because why the F not? Thank you all. Have a good night and we'll see you here in three minutes.